Welcome to the Three P's of Cancer podcast, where we'll discuss prevention, preparedness, and progress in cancer treatments and research. Brought to you by the University of Michigan Rogel Cancer Center. I'm Scott Redding. We're here today with ovarian cancer patient and advocate, Trisha Goodrich. So let's just dive in and meet Trisha. Welcome. Thank you. Welcome. I'm happy to be here. Can you tell us a little bit about you and your journey as an ovarian cancer patient? Absolutely. Um, I was diagnosed December 4th of 2015, and I have just been in the throes of this diagnosis and treatment since I was diagnosed. Um, It's been quite an incredible journey, and a lot has happened in the last three years. Uh, I was initially diagnosed went through my first bunch of chemo and my cancer marker went up pretty quickly after that. So I had to start treatment again. So mine is platinum resistant. It's a little bit harder to treat than other um, ovarian cancers. So I have just been pretty much in treatment since I have been diagnosed. I had a brief period where I was not in treatment and my doctor had ordered an oral chemo agent that was hot off the FDA press that's supposed to be an ovarian cancer suppressant. And my insurance actually, she ordered it six weeks before my treatment was done. My The chemotherapy treatment was done with the hopes of putting me on this. And my medical insurance actually denied it. And I had to go through another appeal and it got denied again. And we sent it for the third appeal, but during the third appeal, my cancer marker went up. I had some changes in my CT, and my cancer became unstable. So I had to restart chemotherapy at that point in time. And they called me after my third dose of the actual chemotherapy to tell me that I was approved for the medication, but it just was too late for me. And I honestly haven't been able to get off chemo since then. So right now, my current treatment is taxol, and I go for weekly chemotherapy points. So, can you explain a little bit more about? Um, you mentioned that you're platinum resistant. I, so for the layperson that maybe doesn't know, so um, most of the first line of the chemotherapy treatments are their platinum based chemotherapies. So, there's the cisplatin and the taxol, and usually the platinum, which would be the cisplatin. Would is my understanding. I'm not an expert at this, but when when you fail your chemo, like a lot of times these women, they finish their first rounds of the treatment, which is usually the cisplatin and taxol seems to be the first line of defense with when you're first treated, and if your cancer marker increases very quickly after treatment, like if it does it within like six months, it's considered platinum resistant, which just means that it's a little bit harder to treat. That was my understanding that I took back from discussions with my physician, so and my oncologist. So uh, you talked about your diagnosis and that you currently are in treatment um, for the past couple of years. Did you have the typical signs and symptoms um, that an ovarian cancer patient would have. I know that uh, usually it gets diagnosed a little bit later uh, only because it's not as common of a cancer. So, yes, I actually, I did have them, but, you know, where I was in my life, I was 51 years old, kind of, you know, coming up on perimenopause and all of that. But now, looking back after my diagnosis, I certainly had, you know, all of the classic signs and symptoms and the Michigan Ovarian Cancer Alliance, their big pitch is, you know, know your body, know 
the signs because there is no standardized testing that will test you for the ovarian cancer. So I had bloating. I had pelvic and abdominal pain. You can have pelvic or abdominal pain and or uh, difficulty eating or feeling full quickly. That I was just kind of on the bridge of that. And urinary symptoms, urgency or frequency, but you know, I was a big health nut before I got diagnosed, so I would drink like tons of water all the time. So the fact that I was going to the bathroom a lot, it was really easy for me to kind of blow that one off as well. Um, but I, I did have them and I kind of was contributing it to the perimenopause. So I had called my doctor to get an appointment and my doctor, my primary care doctor left the system. They put me with somebody else that couldn't see me for six months. I was like, well, can you get me with somebody else? Is there anybody else? And they has, had assigned me a new primary care doctor, but that appointment was scheduled four months from the time that I was having these signs and symptoms. And I am a registered nurse so of 20 years, so I think it's really important that I, you know, put it out there that this one crept right up on me and, you know, I everyone's very well aware of what we need to do for our breast as far as the self breast exams the mammograms and all of that surveillance that you can do where ovarian cancer it's just kind of a mystery it's you know the most lethal gynecological cancer out there and i just don't feel that we as women are as educated as we should be in the fact that you know our pap smears don't cover us they don't check for ovarian cancer they check for all the cervical stuff but you know, a lot of people think that you're doing the right thing you're going to the doctor and if they're not if they're missing it with the signs it can be a problem but um, I actually ended up you know talking to my friends about my symptoms that had kind of gone through menopause and they were all like oh girl you better get used to being tired you better get used to being bloated oh yeah the you know pain this that the other so it you know it was very easy for me just to dismiss it and as a nurse you know and I worked in the ER there was no way I was going in the ER with any of these symptoms when I had a primary care doctor appointment scheduled. So um, I ended up uh, at work. It was about the time that we needed to get our flu shot. So I got my flu shot. And after I got my flu shot, I started getting like really irregular heart rate. And, you know, I could feel palpitations and stuff like that. So I just would like, you know, let it go and it would just dissipate. So on Friday, December 4th of 2015, I went to the gym, I did my workout, I did my, you know, biceps, triceps, my three two-minute planks in between for active rest and my cardio, and I went home and I was sitting there eating my breakfast and I just started getting like a really irregular heart rate, I could feel it. Um, I could feel like I was going to puke. I felt like I had a tennis ball on my neck, like right here. And I was just like, oh my goodness, this is how women my age present with cardiac problems. So I was like, okay. So I took a shower <laughs> and I went to the ER. And um, in the ER, you know, they did the whole cardiac workup. And uh, as the day kind of went on, and the resident came in with the attending, they were going to keep me overnight, have cardiology check me in the morning. And the resident was evaluating me and he pressed on my neck and I was like, dude, next time you do that, you know, you need to warm me. I almost puked on you. The attending, she 
she likely saved my life, truly. She just kind of looked at me and said, you know, and the whole case, and she said, you know, something just doesn't seem right here. It's not clicking. So she ordered some coags, um, and she also... What is coag? Um, they're um, coagulation, so like your like INR, blood, like your PT. Tests. Yeah, so they're okay. like blood tests as far as like, you know, your clotting factors okay. and all of that. So um, she wanted to order that. So they ordered that, and she wanted to order a CTA of my child. And I was like, okay. So they drew my blood and my coags came back and my D-dimer was 2.5. So I'm a nurse and, you know, anytime that one's elevated, you got some kind of problem. You need something done. A lot of times it uh, is indicative that you got some kind of clot somewhere or there are other things that it can be, but it's usually not a good indicator. Um, so that was elevated, and um, I looked at my friend who was in the ER with me, and she's worked in the cath lab at the time, and she, you know, we, I go, oh, that's not good. I go, something's up. So we waited for the CTA, and then when that came back, they changed my CTA from just being a chest to a chest, abdomen, and pelvis. So I went, got my CT. The cute little girl at the CT place said, oh. You know, it's a really good thing you came in today. You know, how long have you been having pain? And I was like, dude, I'm not, I'm not here for that. And she was like, oops. I go, I'll just go back and wait to hear what the doctor tells me. So the physician came in, the resident came in, and I remember the look on his face very clearly. And I just said, you just need to come in here and you need to just sit down and you just need to tell me what's going on. My D-dimer's elevated. I already know I got a problem. So he proceeded to tell me that my entire omentum was filled with cyst-like lesions and my ovaries didn't look very good. And I was like, well, they don't look very good. As in, you know, what do you mean? And he said, well, uh, you know, suspicious for ovarian cancer. So while I was in the ER, they ordered another, another study um, which is one that Mioka recommends, and um, it was a transvaginal ultrasound, and one of uh, the attendings actually came in to give me the, you know, confirmed diagnosis, diagnosis and actually it was Dr. Lowell, I remember him, and he, when I worked in the ER, he was actually one of my colleagues, so he was very kind and very generous to me, you know, and I will always remember his compassion, but he told me, he said, Trisha, you know, this is you you have ovarian cancer and you know we're going to get you upstairs get you admitted and you know get you with the specialist that can help you with this your treatment journey if if you will um that you are currently still on um after two and a half three years almost um you know a lot of surgeries chemotherapy some failed options with that um what can you say that's kind of helped get you to that that point of um, where you are now of, of being an advocate and wanting to, to, to uh, share experiences um, and to be able to live life to the fullest, so to speak, in, you know, a uh, somewhat of a terminal uh, diagnosis? Well, um, it didn't come to me easily. I can tell you that. Um, I kind of kick fought, fighting, kicking all the way here. Um, but I had had an appointment with my doctor. I was on a chemotherapy regimen that failed. And uh, I was asking for some restrictions for work, which were actually really silly when now I think about it. But my uh, doctor, Dr. McLean, uh, she came into my room. And I remember 
her saying, you know, I told her I needed these restrictions and she kind of said, and my dad was at this appointment with me and she had told me that, you know, we'll talk about that. And she just let me know that she's my advocate. She's here to support me. She's here to do whatever I need. And she just, before moving forward with giving me any work restrictions, she wanted to discuss the fact that, um, she had concerns about the time that I had when I was free and I wasn't working because I was exhausted and, you know, managing my chemo side effects on the weekend and not spending much quality time with my family. And she um, brought up this term of she wanted me to consider uh, how I was spending my time and that she felt that, you know, I should be having meaningful time. And I was just kind of whoa, what are you talking about? I mean, that was just like a really scary term to me because it sounds like you're winding things down. And in reality, you are not winding things down. You're actually learning how to live in the moment, in the midst of these unimaginable circumstances that have just kind of been rained down upon your life and you got to figure out what to do in the middle of it. So... so by by doing that, is there something that grabbed you that you're like, that was your aha moment, but that was like, all right, I know exactly what I'm going to do for this meaningful time. Well, I did. It took me a little while to get there because after, you know, I decided that, okay, you know, I will, she had let me know that, you know, she would write paperwork, fill out just paperwork for me that would, for disability that would be permanent in nature and that really threw me for a little spin, too. So I got with um, some ancillary services here within the University of Michigan that I had utilized before. Uh, Claire Castleman, she's wonderful. She's a social worker that works with um, oncology patients. And I was discussing this, you know, next level that this disease process had taken to me. And she offered me some uh, information about a class uh, with a group of other cancer survivors that are, you know, terminal in nature and kind of end stages. And it was about, you know, your legacy and meaningful time. So these classes I found very helpful to be, you know, united with these other brave souls that had commonalities with me. So it was during these classes that I had decided that, you know, hey, you know, I'm living, man. I got to get up, dress up, and show up every day. I might not feel like it, but let's do it. And that's when I decided that, you know, I was going to make it a choice to do something positive. And I decided that I was going to always wanted a old classic car. And I decided I was going to allocate myself a classic car and go on a Route 66 adventure. Wow. So tell us a little bit about that adventure then so that adventure was amazing and it was just the foundation and the starting point of something that i never would have even imagined that it would have turned into um i my son helped me um allocate and find a pristine 1964 ford galaxy 500 xl with a 390 thunderbird um, she's Pagoda Green, which actually I don't know why they call her green because she is definitely teal and she's original. 
uh, and teal happens to be the ovarian cancer color for our ribbon. So it just, I feel like, you know, the reason it had to be in 1964 is because I was born in 1964. So I wanted to make sure that we were the same age. So it's just astounding to me that this old gal was like put out into the world in the Los Angeles Ford assembly plant in 1964. And I was over here closer to the Motor City, 1964 in Ypsilanti, Michigan, and they got their little Ford assembly plant there. But um, I decided that, so I allocated her, that was like the first thing I had to do. And then I bought a huge map, um, like the kind that you would put on a teacher, geography teacher's pin board. And I started with yarn and pins and I mapped out going down Route 66 and I started talking to friends and family about it and it turned into like this absolutely huge adventure and in addition to the Route 66 I had um, decided that I was gonna you know because we had to turn around and come back so I had decided that we were going to um, I googled the 50 most beautiful sites to see in the United States of America. And I plotted the rest of the journey out that way. So um, I was able to get four other people to, you know, roll down Route 66 with me. We picked up travelers along the way. Um, my son and his uh, girlfriend ended up getting married while we were out here on this trip. And it just turned wow. into this great thing. But the big uh, thing that I wanted to do with this journey was um, I partnered with Mioka which is the Michigan Ovarian Cancer Alliance, because I wanted to hand out um, signs and symptoms cards or pamphlets or something as we went along the way, because she's a great conversation starter. And just, I'm a registered nurse of 20 years and my heart and my soul, like a part of me will always be a nurse. And I just was very important to me that I somehow intertwined the gift of my knowledge and the gift of my nursing and the compassion that I had for that, you know, this disease snuck up on me. So it was important to me to get out there and educate as many people as I could about the signs and symptoms of ovarian cancer. So they provided me with their business cards um, that had um, have the ovarian cancer signs and symptoms on. So every time we stopped and people asked us what we were up to, we just started like handing out the cards and you know I had people that told me that they were going they had a friend that they knew that they were going to take it to I would tell men man you need to watch out for your ladies they're at home making it happen these are symptoms that are very easily poo-pooed for us just because of the nature of how they come about and you just really need to be astute and watching out but I was able to infuse them into Native American reservations I was able to infuse them into um, primarily Hispanic speaking communities. I was able to get them in big cities, farm towns, small towns, you know, one stop sign in the middle of town, towns. And it just was the way that it was received. It was just amazing. We invited several people to follow our journey on Facebook through a secret page. And a lot of the people that we met along the way actually were following us as well and it just has become you know my my journey my purpose my calling 
Um, and it has just really turned into like this amazing, amazing thing. And, you know, coming home, uh, the Michigan Ovarian Cancer Alliance actually um, had a Wheels and Tails event, which was just last month on the 15th. And they had invited Lola. My car's name is Lola. She's a showgirl. And my grandson will sing the whole Copacabana song with me. So we got this on lockdown. Um, but they invited us to come. They asked me to be a speaker on the, at the event to speak to the crowd about Lola being my conversation starter and spreading the awareness. And um, also um, they asked me to partner with Michelle Shepard when she was uh, pitching the the Wheels and Teals on Channel 7 Action News. So I joined her there. And then um, also uh, we were on Fox News and it was it's just really turned into this amazing, positive, um, incredible journey for us and the awareness to me is so important because I don't understand how this can be the most lethal gynecological cancer and we are you know not really educated about it and to me it's just my nursing education and saving lives just really looks different than what I ever dreamed it would be at this juncture in my life. And, you know, I've made it here through, you know, a lot of prayer, a lot of personal work, a lot of faith, a lot of hope, and just to be able to see how, you know, in the midst of all of this that, you know, God can bless you and, you know, give you a purpose and just mm-hmm. help you touch other lives. It's just been a beautiful journey for me. So uh, actually, quick question back on, on that. Um, you know, as we started this, we were talking about how you're still in treatment. So did you take this? I'm assuming uh, it was a, what about two, three weeks? It was a three. It was a three. scheduled for 21 days. So um <laughs> Lord, I uh, prior to going on my journey, um, I go to chemo every week. So Dr. McLean and I came up with a plan that the week before I left, so the Tuesday before the Sunday that I left, I um, received a double dose of chemo. Um, and then I woke up on Sunday morning, um, like that we were leaving, and I kept having like... Um, ear pain. It felt like somebody was sticking an ice pick in my ear, of course. So I woke up, hit, drove to urgent care, closed, drove to another urgent care, closed, made my way to St. Joe's ER, and I signed in. And as I was sitting there getting my vital signs, I was like, you have got to get me out of here. And I started sobbing and I told them what I had going on. So I was diagnosed with an ear infection. The morning we left, I was supposed to meet my crew at um, for breakfast at 8 o'clock, so I had to let everybody know that we needed to push everything back an hour so that I could get home and get my things together, and we headed out. So the journey was for, and the a double dose of chemo kept me treated for um, a little over two weeks rather than me just not being treated mm-hmm. for three weeks. And um, when we ended up having to come home two days early because I wasn't feeling very well, so I came home. On Friday, I went to um, the walk-in clinic at the University of Michigan Briarwood, 
and um, was diagnosed. I had a fever. I was tachycardic. My SAT was a little bit low, but and I was diagnosed with an ear sinus and respiratory infection. So um, got back. I missed my first dose of chemo, and then you know after that everything's kind of gotten back on schedule. So so there's a lot more than just. 1964 that he you've got in connection with with your Lola then because Lola had a had a little bit of an issue on the trip too didn't she, she? did she did uh, Lola made it to Tulsa Oklahoma and she peaced out she was like I am done with you women hooping and hollering in here treat me like I am a road girl I am a show girl and you need to get your junk out of my trunk so and that where she broke down we were 120 miles away from where my son was because he had a friend has a military brother who uh, is in Norman, Oklahoma. So he and his uh, girlfriend at the time had gone out there a couple of days before us. And on the when I was planning my trip, he told me he said, "I need you to spend two days in Norman. You know, don't ask me any questions. It's a surprise. You know, blah 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 blah." And I'm like, "Oh dear Lord, okay." So. I call my son, and he told us, he said, whatever you do, don't stop in Tulsa, Oklahoma, because it's not, like, a real good place to end up. So I call him in the morning, and I said, hey, we're broke down. He's like, where you at? I'm like, we're in Tulsa. And then <laughs> I won't tell you what I heard in the background, but it ended up that um, we – I had a plan. I had a solid plan B, like heading out on the road. I knew that like if anything happened, even if it was just like a tiny little thing, I wasn't leaving her where she was. We didn't in the time frame, we didn't have the luxury of like lingering very long. So I said, I will dedicate four hours to this. So I uh, had a plan. We had her towed to where my son was. Um, and that was, oh, I just, I mean, just the whole day, just the way everything worked out. It's like, I, you know, was blessed all the way, but Lord, it was a little bit crazy. So we ended up having to rent a vehicle from, cause we had other people coming. So we were going to need another car anyways, but we ended up having to get to the Tulsa airport. So I took my first Uber ride to the <laughs> Tulsa airport to get my Hertz rent a car. I called my triple A girl and she made all kinds of stuff happen. We were supposed to be picking up a Nissan passenger. And um, we would have had to deal with another something when we got to Vegas. But I was like, let's just get on the road and get going. Well, we get there. Um, one thing happens after another. The They had rented the, the last Nissan passenger and they didn't have anything similar. But the gentleman's name was Tom. He was the sweetest man. I'll never forget him. He goes, but I got something that I think will work for you. And he had a 13-passenger cargo van, and he gave it to us for the same price. So we ended up, like, I went back, got my people, got Lola where she needed to, on her way to where she needed to be. Um, but the bottom line is, is that she, the van, became Trudy on Duty. That's what we named <laughs> her. And Trudy on Duty, we ended up getting, like, an array of uh, washable magic markers and we took the Michigan Ovarian Cancer Alliance cards and we wrote the signs and symptoms that are on the card and the actions that you should take on the back of the van and on each side of the van. And it was just like amazing. We had people taking pictures of it, 
reading it. And then that became our conversation starter as we were like on the road and it was just really cool. But I can tell you that my dad, he, growing up, he had 495 rules and, you know, five of them might've been about something else, but the rest of them were about how you were supposed to take your, take care of your car. So he got a glimpse of what we had done on Facebook and he sent my sister, Debbie, my older sister, Debbie, he didn't bother me, but he sent her a text and he said, Debbie, call me. It's urgent. And so we're like, what the heck's going on? So we call him and he's like, are those markers going to come off? Are those markers going to be washable off? So we almost gave my dad a heart attack riding on the car out there. But it was awesome. It was it's a it was awesome, and it didn't rain the whole time we were there. I think it, they finally got washed off uh, when we ended up in Deadwood. It was the first time it rained, and we were that was like July fourth. So we left on uh, June seventeenth, and we just had beautiful weather. So yeah, she blow the peace out. But you're back together. But we're back together, absolutely. Well, I mean, with your trip and, you know, continuing with the wheels and teals and everything, you are a very strong advocate um, for the signs and symptoms and knowing what's going on with with ovarian cancer. Um, you know, as, as we kind of wrap up, what is one thing that you really kind of want people to know out there um, uh, to know about not only you, but also about ovarian cancer? You know, it's it's a scary diagnosis, and, you know, your journey is going to be your own journey. You know, don't let the statistics define you because, you know, there's that tiny little statistic over there that is, like, so full of hope. And, you know, just learning how to get out of, you know, the cancer defining you and, you know, giving in to what it can do to you because I've learned and I have been, you know, I wake up every day to live. I don't wake up waiting for this disease to take my life because you know what, there, there will be a day, but you know what, it's not today. And you know, even then it's like, there's nothing to say that, you know, whatever ends up being the end of my life is actually going to be the cancer. I mean, it, it could be totally something else. So I just say, you know, you don't feel good. I know you're tired. I know, I know, I know. But if you just get up and you decide that you're going to live today and you participate in life, you don't know, you know, what tomorrow will bring for you. And you don't know the insurmountable joy and opportunity that's out there for you to make a difference in somebody else's life, to be that light that they needed. You just don't know. Great. I think those are great words to end on. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening. And tell us what you think of this podcast by rating and reviewing us. If you have suggestions for additional topics, you can send them to cancercenter at med.umich.edu or message us on Twitter at umrogocancer. You can continue to explore the three P's of cancer by visiting rogocancercenter.org.